Amy never imagined that the old saying, don't let the bed bugs bite, would creep into her workplace. One of the situations that we were disciplining someone for was um, they had bed bugs. And I think it was shocking to me because they, they were shocked when we asked them to, you know, take care of it and not come back to work until it was taken care of. And I think their reaction that they were so offended that we had, you know, quote unquote, invaded their privacy. Um, yeah, HR is such is such a world of psychology and intention and perception. I'm Michelle Aronson, and this is Stories at Work, where we will tell shocking, inspiring, and true workplace stories. I'm a certified executive coach, business school professor, and human resources leader who knows that the best stories happen at work, from heartbreaking to heartwarming, from hilarious to outrageous. You will hear my favorite workplace stories, anonymous confessions from the people who didn't get caught, and answers to your burning human resources questions. Today's story is from Amy, and one of the many things that I love about Amy is that she's always prepared. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. What are your notes for, Amy? Just to God, j- girl. Just to jog my memory. If you ask me something, I'm like, oh, wait, I remember this good question. Or this good Even question. when I intentionally did not send her the podcast interview questions in advance, she still arrives with a page full of notes, which she never even glances at. Amy's first job was working on her family farm, and she hated it. Waking before dawn and sweating in the hot sun all day without pay. So <laughs> I, I grew up um, in a rural area on a farm. My parents are farmers. And, um, you know, so you, when you grow up on a farm, you have to contribute. But she did develop an incredible work ethic and a mindset that allowed her to handle the toughest workplace challenges. So my dad made us do things, of course, around um, the farm. And so in the summer, we had flatland farming, so you had to irrigate your crops. So you would have to lay down irrigation pipe. Um, If you're not familiar, they are about 20 feet long, big, heavy metal pipe. They're on a trailer, right? You take one off, you put it together like a a Lego and you move on and and do the next one. So it was very hard work. It was very hot. Um, And then at the end of the season, you got the joy of picking it all back up, which was then wet and gross and yucky. So um, yeah, that was, that was what we did. It was not, not my favorite thing to do. Yeah, no, I can imagine. (laughs) Whenever Amy was working on an unpleasant HR project, she would say, working on this is better than laying pipe. Which is harder, working on a farm or working in HR? You know, the the farm work was mindless. So sometimes I'm like, wow, I wish I could just do that all day. Like pretty simple, right? Um, Yeah, definitely not not, uh, taxing on the brain, more so physical. Um, Because definitely HR is sometimes very, yeah, it's it's stressful. It's... um, you know, you come home and just, I feel like sometimes I've, I've answered everyone's questions all day long. I fixed everything and I have nothing left to give anybody else. One of the situations that we were disciplining someone for was um, they had bed bugs. And I think it was shocking to me because they, they were shocked when we asked them to, you know, take care of it and not come back to work until it was taken care of. And I think their reaction that they were so offended that we had, you know, "Quote unquote," invaded their privacy. Um, yeah, HR is such is such a 
world of psychology and intention and perception and people's reactions. And I remember they, so we let, we had them um, suspended. They supposedly got taken care of. They came back. The problem persisted. Um, and it eventually it ended a termination because it was, again, this is in a healthcare setting. So, um, but I think I was most shocked again at their, just their reaction that this was not okay. We had the exact same thing happen. And I spent more weeks on a bed bug committee than you can even imagine because we hadn't had bed bugs written into our, our policy. I mean, yeah. it was really like a reemerging issue. And I just, we it's had a public to, health issue. We had to look at pictures. It's like, oh, okay, this is awful. It's I'm, awful. Yeah, this person, I, I mean, coming to find out, of course, right, when you dig deeper, they were, they did not have a good living situation. They were living in their automobile. It was, they were there. It was infested. It was, you know, it was really sad. And, and so, um, and sometimes you un- unveil these things, but you have to come back to, you know, what is your responsibility to the other employees and the business? And yeah, it's really tough. It is really tough. And with our situation, the empl- it's really hard to get rid of bed bugs when yes. you live in an apartment building. Yes. And this is the city. And so she could have gotten rid of them. However, they come through other units. And so really, it's a it's a bigger problem, you know, socially in some of these communities where you just can't get rid of it. And not everybody's exterminating it. Not everybody's in trouble Managing at work it. for yes. having it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it is heartbreaking and, sure. and also awful and also horribly disgusting to look at pictures of bed bugs, you know, in, in the workplace yes. or whatever. <laughs> and I also have like a bug issue, like a phobia. So it didn't help with my own fear of like flying or going to a hotel or picking it up. You know? I wasn't excited to go investigate this issue. That's for sure. I was, I was, I take your word for it. <laughs> They're jumping off in, their, in the locker room and I, I get it. You didn't, you did not go look. I did not have to go look. Thank God. Um, do you have a workplace pet peeve? What's your biggest pet peeve at work? My biggest pet peeve is people that are not that don't take ownership or they're not accountable that just don't sometimes say, yeah, I was wrong. And it's, it was my fault. That is my biggest pet peeve. Um, people that pass the buck, people that, um, again, just don't own something. Um, I think, and I think it goes back to character. It talks about a person's character and their values. And um, it, to me, it just reveals a lot about, about the person. So um, I, I respect people that can you know, step forward, especially, especially when they make a mistake um, and, and own it. I mean, we can get over a mistake. Anything can be fixed. Yeah, and it's doubly uh, important for a leader yes. because everybody's watching. And sometimes leaders feel like they need to know it all and they need to have it all together. And that's uh, probably a fatal flaw <laughs> when you yes. start blaming your team or, you know, it kind you, of... You totally lose respect. I mean, yeah, there's... Like I said, that, that is how you earn respect of your employees, especially if you would admit to, you know, if you, if you did make an error, let them know you're human, you're, you know, you're not infallible. So it's, um, we recently watched the, the Mr. Rogers movie and that scene where, but with the tent where he's trying to put up the tent and he can't do it alone. I really thought about, you're right. That, that was such a great scene because he didn't want to edit that out because it shows that sometimes we need help. Sometimes we can't do things alone and sometimes things don't go as planned. Um, and so I think, yeah, being that, that model for your team is, is so impactful. I mean, that you earn so much more respect and trust that way and just being really real. In HR, that's easy because everybody blames us anyway. <laughs> 
they're like, HR won't let me do it. It's like, oh, no, we will. <laughs> you just need to document or follow the law or whatever it is. Exactly. But do you have an example of like a lack of ownership, maybe at a leadership level that you witnessed that was frustrating or disappointing? Uh, so uh, the one I remember was vividly was that we were doing a um, uh, centralization of a of a department, um, a really big centralization. Um, and we prepared for the meeting in advance and the, the vice president had told me she had done, done this before. She'd done this type of work. It was going to be really difficult. Um, and the senior leader was in the room and another senior leader. And quite frankly, it went awful. And she, she got up there to talk to the employees about what was going to happen and literally froze, froze to the point where I've never had anybody actually have to like excuse himself, step out of the room. Um, so I jump in and not expecting to have to take over this presentation. Um, and it, it just went so, so poorly. And again, at the end of the day, it was HR's fault, <laughs> which, you know, I, I felt like HR had done their part in prepping the leader that this was going to be really difficult and not well received by the employees. And although you've done this before, you haven't done it here which again, every culture is different. And um, yeah, so it goes back to that not taking ownership that, yeah, perhaps we didn't prepare right, or we needed to bring in some other people um, to help with this change. And so, um, and and honestly, we centralized and then it was decentralized shortly after because it, it really had no legs from the very get-go. Hmm. Yeah. We had a very similar situation. It was in finance. I don't know where yours was, but the the person who had decided to let this whole team outsource this whole group ended up I saw them on the way to the meeting and I said you know are you ready for the meeting he goes oh I'm not showing up I go well who's going to tell these people that their jobs are being eliminated oh don't you do that and I was like no I don't do that like you didn't make this decision (laughs) you you need to face these people and like have a conversation Mm. and be able to answer their questions and then they were like what are you doing there and I said well I'm there to let them know about other opportunities and sort of manage the uncertainty in any way that I can but it's not my job to to tell all these people this is your complete decision you know and it was just bizarre to me it was like they were living in an alternate universe that it's even okay not to face these people whose jobs you're yeah. impacting. Yeah, I've had that over and over too where, I mean, you need to walk in and own this. You need you need to be able to say to these people that I made this decision or we as a leadership team made this decision. You know, throwing HR under the bus, if that's what's going to happen, but, but at the end of the day, I'm going to let them know, you know, again, we are the transition, we're there to support you, but, you know, your, your leaders made this decision. Yeah, not wanting to own that is is huge. I um, had one more situation similar, and this manager was eliminating a person for poor performance, and she cried the entire time that she was doing the termination. So after the termination, I go, what is going on? Right. She's like, I just felt horrible. And I said, well, didn't you feel horrible before you decided to let him go? Like, you're not allowed to feel horrible in the room you're you can cry before and after but you cannot cry during that like that is not okay because that takes the attention off the person who's being impacted and puts it onto you like it was so weird and selfish and And strange yeah and did she not believe in her decision I mean if it was that tormenting (laughs) was she (laughs) 
I'm sure just, that this is the right thing to do. Well, I mean, it, you know, it's a horrible thing and it, that it never gets better. And you can be skilled at it and you can be compassionate yes. with it and you can um, have done it many times. But it doesn't it is emotionally it is. a hard thing to do. But I, I just thought that's wow. the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like you're not the person who's leaving is allowed to cry. You're not yes. allowed to cry. Tell me a story where you've seen a leader really make a positive impact through their leadership. So one of my one of my favorite leaders that I worked for um, uh, was a gentleman um, named Rick, and he was that uh, that definition of the the charismatic leader. Um, he was super excited about the work, and this was the revenue cycle. So if you can get excited about that, I mean, this is some really dull stuff. Um, he, you know, was genuine. Um, he said hello to everybody always when he, we we, had, we worked in this really like eight thousand or eighty thousand square foot um, one level building and you had to walk all the way across the place to get to each other and he would stop and you know say hello to people he knew their names he thanked them for their work every day he thanked them for coming in um, when he got asked tough questions in you know our town halls he was honest and direct and either said I don't know I'll find out or you know no we can't do this and this is why and or no you're you're missing the point this is where we need to be we need to be focused um he struggled however um playing politics with some of the senior leaders because he just could not understand sometimes the um you know, why we wouldn't just do what he considered to be the right thing to get things done. Um, but people loved him. Um, and, and again, he just made you feel like what you were doing every day mattered. Um, and again, this was a rev cycle group. They were separated from patients and they were out of the hospitals and they really didn't, they did lost connection sometimes to what they did, um, how it, how it worked, um, to support our, our facilities. And he just brought it back every day, you know, to say, wow, what you guys do funds the new buildings. It funds, you know, the capital, um, it funds the research. And so what you do makes such a, an impact for our patients and families. And and he was just, um, it just made you excited about, like I said, the dullest, sometimes the dullest topics. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I just liked him because he was very proactive, um, didn't shy away from problems, you know, so we had a lot of fun tackling things and getting things done, which, you know, about me, I like to get things done. So <laughs> we worked well together. <laughs> I, that's why you were one of my favorites. <laughs> you were about getting stuff done. That was the best. What about a shocking or an example of a bad leadership that you've seen yeah. Um, so I was supporting another senior leader, um, Mary, and, and we had a great relationship. I had developed a really um, close relationship with her. So I felt like I could tell her things that she needed to hear sometimes. And um, we would meet every other week. And I noticed um, Mary kept bringing me what I would consider kind of some really low level issues. So you know, this is a senior leader in a, in a huge organization. And she was asking about Oh, someone wanted to transfer that recently came into her group and, you know, that was an issue or, you know, this person has um, a disciplinary problem. And, you know, I finally one day said, um, for a couple of reasons, those weren't the issues I wanted to work on. Um, I, I had teams that, that did that type of work. Um, and I asked, I, you know, I was like, Mary, why are you working on these problems? Again, this isn't what we as an organization need you to be doing. 
She said, well, Amy, the, my leaders are bringing me these problems. I said, well, you don't have to take them. I said, this is, these are their things to work on. You know, I need you to turn it back to them and say, okay, wh- what are you going to do about this? Um, I said, because this, you know, I said, how nice for them for just come dump on you and you take them all over. Um, but she, I really felt like she, you know, she wanted to help them. I said, you're not helping them. You're not helping them grow as leaders. We're not able to actually see who's performing well because you just keep taking all this stuff for them. And what are they actually doing? So um, the next couple of weeks, I noticed she wasn't bringing me any more of these issues. I said, Mary, what, what happened? So I did what you said. I, I turned it back to them and I asked them, what are they going to do? Or, you know, tell me what your ideas are about solving this. And I, um, and, and she started to see who her strong leaders were and who her weak leaders were underneath her um, when she started putting the pressure on them to manage these issues that were truly theirs to manage. These are director level people um, that should have no problem, you know, figuring out ways to manage some of these things. So, um, but it was great because she said, no one's ever told me this before. And she was someone who would get caught in the weeds a lot. And I would say, Mary, you, you've got to, you've got to get out of the weeds this isn't your space. You know, everyone needs to be in their lane. So, um, and, and she, she did, she was able to start making that, that turn, um, to no longer just keep taking everything. Cause I think she wanted to help. She wanted to, she liked probably that work. It came really natural. It was easy. Um, but she had gone to a different level where we needed to be working on more strategic things and higher level, um, issues. So I think the coaching part of HR is so critical. You do have the opportunity to help people in a way that um, can move them up to that next level because yeah. sometimes they just don't know what the new operating rules are, right? right? They're right. just, or that's easy and convenient and a good way to make people happy, yes. or they're, they're still sort of finding some other satisfaction out of things that they really shouldn't be doing. Right. Right. Yeah. It wasn't out of a place of malice or, yeah, she really thought she was helping. I'm like, but you're actually not helping them. So, um, and it was really eye-opening, I think, for her. And so hopefully, again, I feel like hopefully she can take that forward no matter, you know, what position she's in someday. What is the biggest challenge that you see for leadership in general? I think overall what I hear consistently is the ability to hold other people accountable. Um, Oftentimes... In, again, in, in my industry background, a lot of people are promoted from within and from within, even within their own group. So from within their peer group. So uh, then having to hold your former peers accountable, very difficult. Um, everyone wants to be nice. Everyone you know, thinks they're not being nice if they hold someone accountable. So again, coaching people on setting expectations and then how to actually hold someone accountable. Um, and accountability doesn't, again, isn't punitive or mean. Um, it's about everyone doing what they're expected to do in the position that they have. And I feel like that's also something that um, is, is frustrating for leaders because they want to come you know, and tell HR, this is, and this is happening. But when I ask, well, what do you want to do about it? Or, you know, how would it, how would it, would it look if it wasn't, you know, in a perfect world? Oh, but making those changes, taking those steps to move it there is the part that, that just, they are so fearful and afraid and it's hard. And I think you've probably experienced too, they, they'd rather wait and hope it goes away. 
on its own, which it never does. Um, it, yeah, so I just hear it over and over. And, you know, someone who I, I've, I've been recently interviewing for a lot of positions, and it's something that um, in every interview comes up, you know, how, how do you help people hold or how do you hold people accountable? Or, you know, our leaders really struggle with that. So I hear it everywhere. Um, and so I think that's the biggest issue. So what are your tips and tricks for like coaching managers to help their people be more accountable? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the tips is again, to be very transparent as far as what the expectations are physically write them down, follow up with an email. Again, we discussed these expectations. Do you understand them? Um, because again, if everyone's clear, then it's much easier when you go back to say, hey, we talked about this and it's super specific um, versus this kind of conceptual <laughs> idea that we agree. When the person, I, you know, you've probably sat in lots of conversations with employees too and they say, well, that I didn't understand that that's what they wanted me to do because it was kind of this pie in the sky idea that was never really said, what I need you to do is to come in every day at 8 a.m. and be ready for work. If that was never said or never communicated, honestly, it's hard to hold someone accountable um, if, if they weren't sure what was expected of them. Um, so again, being very concrete, crystal clear, writing it down, and then rediscussing it with that person when, when, you, when you meet with them. How are we doing on these items? You know, Or how do you feel like you are doing on these items? Maybe some things have changed. Maybe that's no longer the expectation. Um, but I think it's, it's so simple, but they overlook it. It's putting it on paper, having a discussion, having a rediscussion over and over. A listener asks, what is the best way to document things uh, from a human resources perspective? Yeah, that's a good question, and one I get asked frequently. I had a, a great attorney friend um, tell me this one time when we were going through a deposition that uh, you know, recording things electronically are the best way to to document. So, right, your OneNote, your Word document, that's a living and breathing document that you can continue to edit and update versus keeping things on paper. And reason being, um, you know, through my experience, when I've had to use things that are on paper documents, sometimes there's things that's crossed out. There are things that you can't read clearly. Um, there may be some intent and perception there that is not consistent with what happened. So if you are documenting things chronologically in a, a, an electronic document, again, you can make edits, you can make corrections, and it's always, you know, the most current up to date and doesn't have a lot of errors or mistakes or cross outs on it. It's very clean if you have to use that for any type of um, admission for again, for documentation, um, an investigation of some tort some sort. So highly recommend that you you do it electronically, you know, enter a date, enter the note, um, make sure it's accurate, read it over frequently. Um, it's also easy to share with, you know, with someone, if, especially if you're documenting for um, one of your employees so that they can see, you know, these are the notes that we talked about. Um, you know, is this correct? Do you agree? That type of thing. So yeah, definitely don't do it on paper is the only thing I would recommend. I like that. I, I would say too, in addition, I feel like the opposite is also true when it comes to having a conversation that people want to send an email to somebody to have something that should have been 
discussed in a conversation and then notes taken to write up what that conversation is. So it ends up being this weird email exchange around maybe a disciplinary action and you're going, this is not the right format for that. So sit down with them, take notes, put it in a document and then send it to them. Don't send it to them fresh, you know, without without any warning. Um, And two, I would say sometimes in that same vein, um, when you get a type of email that you know is kind of baiting you into putting something in writing, you know, that's when it's the time to make a phone call, set up a time to have a face-to-face conversation, and certainly document the conversation that you can both agree this is what you discussed. But I'm sure we've all seen those where you you have this someone who's kind of avoiding talking to you in person and keeps wanting to have this email exchange that really should be a conversation. And what's the problem with the email exchange? Um, again, sometimes it's what exactly are we trying to solve in this issue? So if there is something that um, doesn't, again, doesn't feel right, why why is it that, you know, they don't want to talk to you face-to-face? And again, if they're just saying, oh, I just need clarification and, you know, I want it documented in writing, not a problem. Let's sit down and talk about it. Let's both agree, and then we can put something down on paper. You know, overall, working in human resources, I think some of the things that, you know, I'm sure you've had lots of people tell you before, oh, my gosh, I don't, I'm so glad I don't have your job, or I would never want your job. Um our jobs are great. I mean, we get to interact with people. You, it's never the same day twice. If you want to be surprised and if you love, you know, the psychology of people or how, what makes people tick or how they think, you know, HR is a great place to be. You learn about people's motivations, what motivates them. It's different for everyone. A lot of it can be how they're brought up, what their belief system is, um, you know, their their culture, their their uh, religious practices. Um, you you can never ask enough questions. Um, it is a question game, and you oftentimes people come to you and they don't even know what they actually want. You have to keep asking them, go deeper, go deeper. Um, so it's it's fascinating. It's it's really fun. It can be rewarding. Um, you know, it can be stressful too. But it's certainly, like I said, it, it's not mundane, and it's almost uh, like maybe being a you know a driver for a paramedic or working in the ED, you know, emergency department in in the human side of things. So um, yeah, it's you know, it's a lot of fun. I agree. I agree. And it's, it is never boring. And what I love when I get together with HR people, which is why I'm starting this podcast, is the stories because everybody has the best, most interesting, most sometimes suspenseful stories. You're just going, oh my God, I never ever saw that in my whole life or even dreamed that, you know, you couldn't even guess that that would happen. But yeah, um, we're never surprised, I think, because we've we've seen a lot and you're like, you know, <laughs> truth is stranger than fiction. So when you something happens, you're like, I believe it. <laughs> I, I believe it too. I do too. We've all done something bad at work, but here's your chance to confess. From small wrongs, like borrowing office supplies to simplify your back-to-school shopping or snacking on a co-worker's lunch, to the major workplace sins, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type. Here is today's Conscious Clearing Confession. Okay, here goes. It was a Thursday morning. I arrived at work, 8.30, had my breakfast, which is usually an English muffin with some sort of protein on it that my husband makes for me every day. Had my tea, had my meetings uh, from 9 to about 11.30, and then I said, oh, let me uh, go to the restroom, and when I was in the restroom, I 
immediately began to feel very dizzy and very nauseous. Literally like a snap of the fingers. I was feeling fine and then all of a sudden completely changed. So I said, oh my gosh, let me get the hell out of here because the restroom is all marble and if I'm this nauseous and this dizzy, I may fall and hurt myself. So I left the I left the bathroom and I said to myself, let me get back to my office if I can even make it there. So I saw a friend and colleague and I said, Mandy, I need your help. I'm really not feeling well. Can you help me walk back to my office? So she did so and she did so discreetly, which was uh, very important to me. I got to my office and I called my husband. I called my father my father's physician and he said listen um, I don't know what this is but it could be food poisoning it could just be a virus or it could be something more serious so call the health center so I asked my executive associate Dana to call the health center or rather I screamed it from my office because I was in I was so so ill at that point Um, I also had to get on the floor because my desk chair was no longer comfortable So I'm on the floor of my office and people are staring at me from outside the office like like I am a zoo animal. And I'll never forget the people who did that. Um, Not really good friends of mine, but more just colleagues who were very nosy. Anyway, um, this was in February and the prior September decided to take away all of our individual trash cans. And so uh, there were no trash cans in offices anymore, and there were no trash cans, individual trash cans on the floors anymore. There were just communal trash cans that we could use. So I'm, I'm sitting on the floor of my office with people staring at me like I'm a zoo animal. So sick, dizzy, nauseous. So I said, all right, well, I better take the files out of my file drawer because um, otherwise I don't know where I'm going to vomit. So you know the end of that story. Um, So embarrassing moment is uh, getting really sick at work, vomiting in your your file drawer, having people stare at you like you're a zoo animal, um, and it's all your fault because you're not cleaning out your refrigerator properly. Clear your conscience by submitting your workplace confession at physicsatwork.com slash podcast. Vomiting at work would be a nightmare. Sitting on a public bathroom floor, face grazing the exact spot your coworkers place their butts. From my perspective, vomiting in the drawer is the preferred choice over the public restroom. And I think this is a rally cry for the importance of trash cans in every office. I also feel sad for whoever had to clean the vomit out of that drawer. Thank you for listening to this show. If you work in HR and have a story to share, please visit my website, physicsatwork.com slash podcast to share your story, make your anonymous workplace confession, or ask a question about how to lead and succeed at work. Stories are what people remember and how we connect, so please share yours with me. Join me for my next episode to discover how to deal with shit at work. Literally. Poop.
the ways that kindness creates culture, and how having a harmonica in your pocket can give you style points after a termination. A haiku for Amy. Amy wants leaders to be accountable and always own mistakes. 